0: All righty, we're going to be looking at the story of Stephen continuing in the book of Acts. Chapter 6 is where we're going to be. We're going to take the whole of chapter 6 and the whole of chapter 7. So we have a lot of scripture to get through. It's going to happen fairly quickly. So just there's going to be some verses for you to, to follow along with. We're not going to be going and hitting every single verse. But go ahead and look for those at the top of the PowerPoint. You'll be able to see them. I'm thankful to be able to preach uh, and teach this morning. I like, I like doing this, and I'm thankful that uh, you guys let me do this. Also, I'm thankful, like I said, for the veterans uh, we talked about earlier, and we, we thank them. Thank you guys and women very much uh, for your service. I'm mindful of that because you guys are all probably sick of it now, but um, we're, the, what's on our minds, right, the, the election, and I think this leads in pretty well to what we're going to be talking about um, some of you probably aren't sick of it. Some of you could talk about this and never get tired of it. And you know who you are probably, John Hatfield. Um, <laughs> you could just talk about this and talk about it. Some of you, most of you are probably sick about it, like me. But um, before, this, before this went through, and maybe even after, depending on which side you're on, um, everybody, I think, to a certain degree, felt some anxiety. Some anxiety about the future of our country, what direction it's going to be going, Who's leading it? And you feel this sense of fear. Well, I was listening to a podcast, which is just like a radio show. And they were talking about this very thing. And they was they before the election happened, they were nervous about it. And uh, one, of the, one of the people talking started bringing up some of the things that our country has been through. Our country's been through um, fighting for its independence. Our country's been through a civil war where half the country and the other half of the country was pitted against each other. Our country's been through world wars. Our country's been through presidential, uh, near impeachments, resignations, and even assassinations. Courtney and I are watching a show, it's on TV, it's called Designated Survivor. I don't know if any of you are watching it, but basically what happens is the entirety of of the President's Cabinet, Congress, and uh, the Supreme Court are all blown up, and all that's left is like a couple people that get forced up the ladder into these high positions. You think when things like this happen, or if the wrong person's elected, that everything's going downhill or something like that. Uh, and even fear beforehand. And then you think about all the things that our country has endured, all these cycles of crisis. And at the end, our country is designed in such a way, thanks be to God, that uh, it can withstand things like that right? We look into the past, and we see these things, these cycles, these patterns of crisis, and we learn something from them. We learn that our country has been designed in a way to withstand them. That's what we're going to do, except instead of looking at our country, sister, we've been looking at our faith's history, and learning these cycles, these patterns, and, and learning something from them. So, Acts chapter 6, Uh, is where we're at. Uh, Again, I'm going to go ahead and summarize uh, a lot of this. The first part basically gives us the setting. The setting is that as the church is growing, it's not without problems, including uh, two groups of widows. One group feels like it's being neglected, so they complain. The apostles then want to help this problem out, so they appoint a group called the deacons. These deacons are introduced um, in chapter 6, And uh, they are introduced in verse 5 as they're looking to appoint these people. Verse 5 says, And when it pleased the whole ministry, they gathered, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and several other names that I'm not going to try to pronounce. So... uh, it introduces it introduces these these two guys that the the text is going to follow through for a while and, and hone in on these guys they 're introduced as being full of the holy Spirit so let 's take a look at Stephen today and as we get into stephen 's life the uh, the The text gives us a summary statement. We've heard a couple of these before, but it's in verse 7, and it says this, And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. In other words, the church is growing with the Jews, okay? The church is continuing to grow, and and this is the setting that we find ourselves in with Stephen, okay? So there's a setting. Here's the problem. Stephen gets up, and he begins speaking. He, he, he does these signs and wonders, miraculous, awesome things. And as he's speaking, some people take offense to what he's saying. So they debate him. And as they're going back and forth, they lose because they can't withstand the spirit and wisdom with which he speaks. Okay? This is, this is a conflict, a, a public conflict, and he's, he's showing them up. So out of their frustration and embarrassment, they get together some false witnesses. They say some things to, to accuse him. Eventually, he's even arrested and brought in front of the high priest and the council to give a testimony for what he's been saying and doing. Okay? And this is where we reach his sermon, okay? I wouldn't, I, I wouldn't be uh, doing it justice if I didn't acknowledge that this is a deacon which preaches the longest sermon in, in the whole Bible, which is kind of cool. Every pastor, I think, has to say that when they get to this part. Um, so we're going to look at this in, in two parts. First, we're going to take a look at Stephen's speech, Stephen's sermon we're going to notice these patterns throughout history, these cycles throughout history. We're going to learn from that, and then we're going to take a look at Stephen, the person, and see how that is, is in a different, it's the opposite of his speech, okay? These are going to happen in a variety of stories. This is how his speech moves. It moves in stories. So if it feels like I'm just telling you a bunch of stories, it's because it's what it does. Um, so the first story is about Abraham and Joseph. Then he goes and talks about Moses before the people were liberated from the land, Moses after the people were liberated from the land, and the temple which was built by Solomon. Okay? That's how we're going to move. Here's the first part. Abraham and Joseph. Okay? Abraham, you know who he is, father of the faith. He, uh, he was in Mesopotamia, and God came to him in Mesopotamia. Important, important note. Okay? God came to him outside of the promised land and made a promise to him for inheritance but he gave him no land. In fact, he promised that his offspring would be slaves to another nation in another land. And uh, as you know, he uh, goes throughout his life, it takes him forever to get the right children for it, and even at the end of his life, he doesn't have the inheritance of the land. In fact, uh, as his, his great-grandchild Joseph uh, who, you know, that story is his, his brothers get jealous of him um, because of the dreams he has, because of his favorability with their father. So they sell him into Egyptian slavery. Joseph then rises by the power of God because, and as Stephen points out, God is with him while he was in Egypt. Um, that's in verse 9 of chapter 6, or I'm sorry, chapter 7. God was with Joseph while he was in Egypt, and he miraculously, over and over, rises to power despite the, uh, the circumstances he finds himself in. And, and this, this, uh, this rise to power eventually shows that, that God is fulfilling his promise to Abraham of making him a great nation while they're in Egypt. Why does Stephen tell this story? I think the main reason is this, to show that God doesn't fit into the Pharisees, these, uh, this council, this, the Sadducees, the religious leaders. He doesn't fit in this people's box. In fact, he comes to Abraham and Joseph when they're outside of the land. The land is very important to these people, and he makes a special note to say he's outside the land. And that God's presence and plans are rejected by his own people the sons of Jacob, right, who sell Joseph into slavery, and by the Egyptians. God is repeatedly rejected. His plans and presence are rejected because he doesn't fit in their box. Next story. Uh, God continues to fulfill his promise to Abraham, make him into a great nation. A king arises in Egypt and um, forgets about Joseph and all the wonderful things that he did for Egypt. As the Hebrews, Abraham's nation grows They become too great that it scares the king, so he begins oppressing them, forces them into slavery. It's at this time when Moses is born, and the king wants to kill off all the young children of the Hebrews uh, who are being born in order to help stifle them. So his mother puts Moses in a basket. She puts this basket in a river, and she leaves it. Then Pharaoh's daughter comes to the river, picks up the basket, finds a baby in it, and uh, raises the baby as her own. Pretty crazy story. Summing it up really quick. Um, as, as she uh, raises Moses, he becomes a very competent, uh, well-equipped Egyptian. Okay? He's trained as an Egyptian. He grows up. But eventually, he wants to go back to his roots, so he seeks out Hebrews. One day, as he's an adult, he goes out. He sees a Hebrew who's being beaten by an Egyptian man. And out of anger for his people, he kills the Egyptian and hides the body. So he goes out another day, uh, sometime later, and sees two groups of his own people, two Hebrews, and they're fighting with each other. As they're fighting with each other, he seeks to intervene and stop them, but they say, who made you ruler and judge over us? If only they knew, right? Who made you ruler and judge over us? And then they they bring up his murder, and so out of of fear that he's going to get found out, Moses flees. He runs off um, to Midian, and he just starts to live his life there. 40 years pass. He gets married. He has kids. And then uh, God comes to him while it says he's in the wilderness in Mount Sinai. God comes to Moses out there, and that's the burning bush. You can see that in the picture there. Well, why is this story in Stephen's speech? Well, you see, God doesn't fit into these people's boxes. Again, he comes, he comes to Moses outside of the land and only to Moses. And he speaks to him as a burning bush. And in the wilderness, right, by Mount Sinai, this is not in the promised land. He also only comes to Moses. God doesn't fit in their box. And, and the people reject Moses. They said, who made you ruler and judge over us? Well, if Moses only knew the future, he'd say, well, God did, actually. That's what it was. But he didn't know that yet. But the other point of this is that God's plans and presence through Moses for liberation are rejected by his own people. That's why Stephen shares this story. Eventually, Moses then, uh, by the power of God, with miraculous signs wonders, the ten plagues, uh, crossing through the Red Sea, you know these stories, gets out of Egypt with the nation, and God begins to establish this people as his nation Uh, This is the next part. Um, uh, And and as they're out in the wilderness, God brings Moses to the top of a mountain to share with him the law, the thing that's going to characterize his people, the thing that's going to uh, set his people apart and be their defining characteristic. Well, while he's uh, giving this to Moses up on a mountain away from the people, the people then get impatient. Impatient. They get, they get tired of waiting. They think something happened to Moses, and so they want to find something, uh, some kind of God that they can appoint or, or give credit to that did this. And so as Stephen shares, they, they made idols. And you know the story. They melted down um, jewelry and gold, made it into a golden calf, a large um, idol, and they said, this is the God that took us out of Egypt. Moses then comes down off the mountain, holding the tablets that he was given to by God, and out of fury, smashes them. Right, and, uh, and and you can see how again this repeated process of people not understanding God, trying to put him in a box, and, and because they don't, they put him in a box that they can't see him as an idol. Right, so so that's what it is. God doesn't fit in their box. He isn't merely an idol to worship. And and secondly, God's plans and presence are rejected when the people ask for new gods this is Stephen's pattern that he's bringing through his speech. He's telling the story of his people's history to his people who would know these stories, and he's showing them how this pattern keeps arising. Well, eventually, this group, this nation, makes it into the promised land under the leadership of Joshua, establishes a kingdom where judges rule. Uh, eventually, David becomes the, uh, not the first king, but he, David becomes king, Uh, Over the nation and his son uh, Solomon uh, after him, David's desire was to build God a temple, a house, Uh, a house for him to live because there was only a tabernacle. God said, "No, I don't don't really need that, but thank you. Um, I'm good." Um, Solomon comes comes to power after David. And ignores that and says, I'm going to build God this miraculous temple, this awesome, glorious temple. And Solomon had all the riches to be able to do this. And so he builds a temple to God. And this is is so interesting because Stephen breaks down this thinking by quoting from another book, Isaiah 66, uh, chapter 1. And he quotes it here. You can follow along in verse 49 of chapter 7. Heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. What kind of house will you build for me, says the Lord? Or what is the place of my rest? Did not my hand make all these things? So Stephen points to Isaiah, showing that God said, I am God. <laughs> you can build me a temple, but I don't, I don't live there. I made all the things you're going to use. I made you. I made the earth. In fact, I can't even be confined to a house. This is the temple that they associate with the presence of God. But you see, God doesn't fit in their box. He can't be confined to a building. And God's plans and presence are rejected when the people want to build him a house. You see the pattern? You see the pattern moving through all of Stephen's stories that he's telling? It's the guy doesn't fit in their box, so they reject him. And here's where it gets good. This is this is I love this part. Um, this is when Stephen flips it. Verse fifty one. You stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in hearts and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did, so do you. He brings the past into the present, and he shows how they do the same thing that their fathers before them did. They follow the same pattern of trying to put God in a box. And when they put him in a box, they reject his presence because they misunderstand him. I'll say it like this. They didn't see Jesus as God's plan and presence, so they killed him in the pattern of their ancestors. These are the people that sent Jesus to the cross that that Stephen is confronting, and he's saying you crucifying Jesus is the very same thing that your ancestors did, that the sons of of Jacob did when they sent uh, Joseph into slavery. It's the very same thing about the that the Hebrews did when they rejected Moses as their leader. And it's the very same thing when they made idols for uh, an idol to worship instead of God. It's the very same thing as building a temple when God said, I don't need a temple, I'm God. See, there's the pattern. And furthermore, the people always reject the plans and presence of God just as the religious leaders are now because he doesn't fit in their box. That is the pattern. So this is the message that Stephen gives. He gives these, you can break it up into a couple different orders. That's why I broke it up into those four stories. And and he uses these four stories to illustrate that God doesn't fit in your box. And because of that, you always reject him. It says you always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did, so do you. See how he did that? When I think about this, I think about when I was a, a little kid, and I was, I was at my mom's house. We, we had recently got a brand new TV. And this was when I was a little kid. So this is before flat screens were the thing. So when you got a big TV, it was a cube, a perfect cube box that it would come in. And it was huge, right? Because the glass was thick in the, in the middle, right? Have you ever lifted those? I mean, I'm sure a lot of you have. Some of you don't know. But TVs used to be like this deep, right? This deep, not just this big, right? And you get them in a big square. Well, we got a big TV, and it was so awesome, and I was younger, and my little sister was there. We got the TV out of the box, and we hooked it up, and we wanted to start watching shows, but we kept getting sidetracked with my little sister, who was playing in the box. You know kids love boxes, right? She, was, she would just she'd get in there, and we'd turn on side, and it would be like a little fort, and you use your imagination, and you pretend it's this, pretend it's that, and we were all enamored for like an hour or more with just playing in this box, Together, And it was actually a really cool time as a family just to, just to have fun with this kind of thing. And as she was playing in this box, um, we, we kind of all came to the moment at the same time of realis- realizing that we just bought a TV and we're playing in a box, <laughs> right? We just got a TV. We missed the point. that we got a, we got a, Not that that was a bad idea, just an il- illustration to show you that sometimes we focus on the box, not, not the real thing, not, not, not what comes in it. So Stephen, um, if we could sum up Stephen's sermon in in one sentence, it would be this. God is repeatedly rejected because he doesn't fit in people's boxes. God is repeatedly rejected because he doesn't fit in people's boxes. Stephen breaks down the pillars of what these people hold on to. He breaks down the pillars that they hold on to, and, and he shows them that God isn't those but God is something else, and you rejected him because you wanted those boxes, first and foremost. Now let's flip this, and not just look at what he says, but let's look at him as a person. Let's look at who Stephen is. First of all, Stephen is different. He's the opposite of the people he's speaking to. Stephen is the opposite of the religious leaders. A careful reading would notice very clearly um, a separation between him and them. Stephen four times is characterized as being full of the Holy Spirit. Four times in these two chapters. In verse 3, verse 5, which we read, I'll read it again. Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. Verse 10 of chapter 6. But they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. And even when he dies, uh, in 7 verse 55, it says... um, but he, Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven as he's dying. This is who Stephen is. He's full of the Holy Spirit. Contrast that to what he says about the religious leaders in verse 51. You stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit. That's the other side of it. Stephen is the opposite of the, whole, of the religious leaders. Not only that, But Stephen is just like Jesus. Stephen is just like Jesus. This is weird. We don't talk about Stephen much. I mean, I didn't know much about Stephen. He's only in here for two chapters. But he's just like Jesus. It's almost almost weird. It almost feels a bit uncomfortable to say that he's as like Jesus as he is. And I know this is, this is horrible preaching tactics, but I'm going to show you a chart, okay? <laughs> you probably can't even read this. Um, this is more just to prove to you how much like Jesus Stephen is, okay? A careful reading of this text would notice that Stephen is presented as full of the Holy Spirit just as Jesus is. Stephen did great wonders and signs just as Jesus did many other signs, John 20, 30. They seized him and brought him before the council. Verse 12, Jesus was seized and led to Caiaphas, the high priest, in Matthew. It goes through this, bam, 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 bam. I think I have 12 examples of a mirror between Stephen and Jesus. How he's characterized, how he's convicted and arrested, what his face was like. In verse 15 of chapter 6, his face was like the face of an angel. Matthew seven two and his face shone like the sun about Jesus. He goes to the high priest. The priest asked him, "Are these things so, Jesus? What does these things testify against you?" Even after his speech, um, I'll, I'll give you. I'll give it away. He's stoned and killed. He's the very first person ever to be killed for the sake of Jesus' name in the church. The very this is the first martyr. And this is when the early church starts getting some serious persecution. Not people just going to jail, but people dying for the name of Jesus. As he's dying, Stephen cries out, Lord, Jesus, receive my spirit. As Jesus is dying, he says, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Stephen, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Jesus. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Stephen, he cried out with a loud voice. Jesus cried out with a loud voice. Having said this, he fell asleep. Having said this, he breathed his last. You get the picture. He's just like Jesus, that it's so, he's so similar, it's indiscernible sometimes where Jesus ends and where Stephen begins. Why why would Luke do this? Why, Why is Stephen presented this way in a way that's so close to Jesus, it's even hard to tell the difference? Well, I think the reason why is because it shows presence. When I was a kid, I wondered Maybe you've wondered this before. Um, Where did Jesus go? I I remember thinking, you know, this is when I was like in middle school, and I I remember, you know, people telling me the gospel. So Jesus came. He builds up this big following. Everybody comes to him. He does all of these miracles, healing people. He's preaching. He's got this huge movement, and then he dies. He's crucified. But then, three days later, he raises again, and he's back. He's back. And we're going again, right? It's not over yet. Everybody was disappointed, but now we're back, and we're going. Forty days later, he leaves. Well, what happens next? What happens next is what this whole book is about. The book of Acts is all about the presence of Jesus moving to build his church, which he promised he would do. He's building his church even now to the point that even though Stephen is looking up at Jesus in heaven, you can't even tell that Jesus isn't here anymore because of Stephen. That's cool. That's cool to me. I think that's so awesome. So let's sum this up. If we break, if we take Stephen, Stephen's life in in one sentence, we could say Jesus is present in spirit-filled followers. That's what we could say. Now, if we connect this with the message from his sermon, we could summarize it like this. Jesus is present in spirit-filled followers who don't box up God. That's both halves. You see that? Contrary to the, to the religious leaders who box up God, Stephen shows that Jesus is present because he's spirit-filled. That's the summary. So what? I figured maybe you might ask something like this. A lot of scripture that we just dealt with to come to this one conclusion. And maybe you're wondering, what difference does that make? Well, I think that there are Boxes that we tend to put God in. And I think it it really does apply to us. Let's take a look at some boxes. First of all, what is a box? A box is anything that we would use to confine God's presence. They can be good things. They can be be, uh, like, for example, the temple or the the promised land. Things things that the, the religious leaders would use to box up God. So what are some boxes that we have that limit God's presence? I would say... Christian celebrity, what I mean by this is a lot of things. Maybe a pastor, maybe a relative or like a a spouse or somebody. Maybe they passed away. It's a lot easier to lift somebody up to high esteem if they've passed away. Maybe it's somebody like uh, Joel Osteen or Billy Graham or Andy Stanley or some of these John Piper, these kind of people that we elevate to a point of saying what they are is God right? We can begin to see that God only moves if these people bless it, things like that. Anything that they do is, is, is a presence-filled thing. Maybe, maybe that's something that you see in your own life. My theology, what I mean by my theology, I'm, I'm thankful to be in a church like ours, a church like ours that takes theology seriously, that takes doctrine seriously, Right? You guys know that we do that? Okay, we do that. I think some churches don't do it as much as we do, not to toot our own horn, but also this comes with a, with a negative side of it. And that sometimes we take our theology and we, we craft it and we, we nail it down and we pin it down to these exact phrases and we sign off on it and we make other people sign off on it. And if they don't sign off on it, they can't be a part of our church and they can't serve in ministry because they don't agree with this one piece of theology. And that's not the presence of God. Our theology is what we say about God, it's what we believe about God, but sometimes we can use that to box him up and to say that he can't operate outside of my theology. I mean, let's face it, all of us are going to be wrong about something when we get to heaven, right? We're all going to come to God at some point, and we're going to have our theology statement that we may be believer or something, and we're going to show God, and he's going to be like, yeah, you get a B minus for that or something, but it doesn't matter because that's not what I'm using to, to get you into heaven. I'm using my grace to get you into heaven. And so uh, I think sometimes, and I think what Stephen shows here is that God, God breaks through people's theology sometimes, and he redefines his presence outside of what they would use to limit him. What about emotions? Sometimes we say, God only works when I feel this. Or if I don't cry, then the spirit isn't really moving in me. Or if, if this, then that. You see how we can limit God by, by the, I only, I only feel God when I'm joyful. We can begin to limit God because of the certain emotions that we feel. Maybe you can see that in yourself. Traditions. Um, over time, things lose their meaning, Right? Maybe every, maybe every Sunday we, we get up here and we, we stand and read the scripture together. We stand out of reverence and respect to God. What a great thing, awesome. Eventually, if we do that enough times over enough years and we don't define what it means, it just becomes a meaningless tradition that people do without, without thinking about God, without thinking about respecting God. And so while standing, while we read scripture together is an awesome thing, it could become something that that we limit. God doesn't move unless we stand and read a scripture. We're, we're, we're uh, dim, diminishing God's presence by that. Does that make sense? How we can do this with our traditions? It's the same thing with legalism, how we can, we can start to make these non-essential rules, which is what the Pharisees were really good at, right? I, I could say a lot of them, but I feel nervous too, because I don't want to step on anybody's toes. Um, we all struggle with legalism, Everybody here in this room does at some point make some kind of do and don't that's not an essential. Uh, you may, maybe you disagree with me on that, but I, I don't want to get into this too much without saying that there are things in this church that are not requirements that we make requirements sometimes. Okay? I'll leave it at that. Preferences. Here's an example. Maybe you don't like this preaching style. Maybe you like when people do verse-by-verse-by-verse by verse by verse preaching. They have to explain each verse as they move down and limit God to say, God doesn't speak unless we preach verse-by-verse. Verse. Right? I've heard that a lot. I think that limits the way God can work. Look at the way Stephen preaches. Stephen doesn't preach verse-by-verse. Verse. Stephen comes in and he, and he weaves these narratives, these stories together to show a theme. What about music preferences? God isn't praised unless blank. Or um, uh, Bible translation preferences. Th- these are preferences. They're not, they're not one thing that says this is what God is. We begin to limit him when we, when we use our preferences. Finally, ministries. This is one I feel convicted with. Sometimes it's easy. Again, ministries are good. A lot of these are really good, right? Ministries are great. But sometimes, sometimes we limit the way God moves and works, and we, re- we even reject his presence because of the box we put him in with our ministries. I work with high schoolers. Hey, guys. Um, I work with high schoolers, and I love it. It's fun. Middle schoolers, too. Um, but I would be wrong to think that God can't work in a middle schooler or high schooler's life apart from alive youth ministries. That would be limiting him, Maybe there are some ministries that you can think of that you would say, I'm, I'm actually limiting what God can do because the way I think and the way I live with this ministry. Sometimes God just blows things up. Sometimes He operates outside of them. We've covered a lot of scripture, and I've tried to do it in a way that that brings us uh, to, to a place of understanding our choice that we actually have two choices. We can choose to be a Stephen, or we can choose to be a religious leader. One group puts God in a box. The other one is filled with the Spirit. We're going to read chapter 7, verse 54, and we're going to, we're going to finish the chapter. Follow along. It says, Now when they heard these things... They were enraged. This is after Stephen points it back at them. And they ground their teeth. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing, not sitting. It's the only time Jesus is standing. Why is he standing? I don't know. There's a couple of things that it might be. It could be out of respect, out of honor for Stephen. It could be a way to welcome him home. Uh, there's several things, but, but there's a point made that he's standing, some kind of, some kind of way to honor or, or welcome Stephen. Jesus standing at the right hand of God, and behold, I see the heavens opened, and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. That's Stephen. That's what Stephen sees. It's very easy, it's very easy to put God in a box, and it's very easy to limit him to what we understand, to what we, can, what we can fathom, what we can see, touch, taste, feel. But his presence is more than that, and his presence is convicting, and it works in ways that make us feel uncomfortable, right? And it pushes us to a place like Stephen. I mean, this is a hard sell, right? I'm telling you, be filled with the Holy Spirit like Stephen, who was just killed, Right? It's not like, you don't normally lead with that, especially, you know, you have those prescription drug commercials, they come on and you're like, this, this will save you from uh, diabetes, this will give you this. this. There was an acne one the other day that I saw, it was, it was an acne medication that gave you like, like a bunch of side effects, and you're like, it's just acne, why am I getting all these side effects, like itchy skin and dry eyes and like bad bowel movements, right? I don't want that, it's a real thing. I'm sorry if that startled you. Um <laughs> But you know what? I'm talking about these side effects, right? I'm, I'm trying to sell you on something that could mean that you die. Uh, probably not in America, but if it happens, um, praise God that you were counted worthy for that. It's, it, being filled with the Holy Spirit sometimes has that side of it. But if you look at, this, if you look at the picture of Stephen's death, there's really, a cool, there's really a cool dichotomy between him and them. You see, Stephen it almost seems like he's ignoring them. Right, you could see him. They're getting all fired up, and then he just like looks up to God and starts talking to God as they're yelling. They get so angry with him that they stop their ears. It's like a kid going la 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 la. <laughs> I don't want to hear it. I don't understand it. You're putting God outside of my box. He doesn't fit. He, you know, and it's like he, they get so uncomfortable by it that they don't even want to listen to it. So they close their ears, and then they kill him. Meanwhile, Stephen is just looking up at Jesus, our Savior, welcoming him home. Jesus is present in his church. Jesus is present in spirit-filled followers who don't put him in a box, who don't confine him to a space that he doesn't fit. Heaven is his throne and the earth is his footstool. He breaks outside. He's big. He's huge. He's huge. That was a Trump thing, right? He's huge. Um, He's big. And because he's present in spirit-filled followers who don't box him up, I urge you to seek his presence. Don't seek the box that he fits in. Don't play with the box that the TV comes in. It's like the Christmas child. It's a great illustration, right? It's It's not about the box. It's not even about what's in the box. It's about a Savior who comes through these boxes and meets kids all over the world with the good news. Your choice this morning and furthermore is to allow God to break open your boxes. And as he breaks through those boxes, as you seek his presence to be filled with the Holy Spirit, I can tell you to expect to see what Jesus, or I mean, what Stephen sees, and that's Jesus. Staying in, I don't know if he's going to be standing or sitting. That part's, that part's not the most important. But Jesus is, is proud of Stephen. Well done, my good and faithful servant, I can imagine him saying. Rather than This. It's this. As the worship team comes forward, um, we're going to do a new song. And I would like all of you to stand, even though you don't know it, Um, even though you might not be able to sing with it. I just want you to stand, to look at these words, sing it if you can. But that the Lord's presence is all we need. We don't need these boxes to put him in. We don't need all these other things that we might confine him to. Instead, what we need is Jesus, his presence fully.